soon. Um, so let's all rise and we'll read today's word as it comes to us from James chapter 5. Um, we are nearing the end of James. And this is uh, probably one of the most, it's probably, yeah, one of the toughest passages. And so I thought it was appropriate to have our intern do it. Uh, but this is James 5, uh, starting from verse 13. It reads like this. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. This is the reading of God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Would you join me in prayer once more? Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that every Sunday we get together to worship you. Lord, we are so thankful that while we are still sinners, you die for us. Lord, as we, as we find ourselves as unworthy person, um, a lot of brokenness in our lives, but as we come to you, Lord, we just pray that you help us to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, who is interceding at the right hand of God the Father, who is also living in our lives so that we will not fix our eyes on ourselves, but to the, to the one who lives in us. And we're also so thankful that well, sometimes we forgot your goodness. Lord, we pray that you will satisfy us with your love. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, church. And I guess every, uh, everyone, we, we, we all have kind of experience, like when we met some guys at church, right? We will also say, like, hey, guys, how are you? And then he will say, I'm good. And then you guys will catch up a little bit about your life situation, different updates. And then you are about to go. And then what would you say? And sometimes you will say, hey, guys, brother, I will keep you in my prayers. And sometimes you will say, hey, I will lift up, I, I will lift you up in prayer. Or you will say, I will remember you in prayer. I just want to say, hey, we have a vocabulary of prayer speak. We have a vocabulary of prayer speak. And we ended up with a, 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 a saying that I will lift you up in prayer. But many who use these phrases, including me, we, we sometimes we tend to get around, get around to praying. We tend to talk about prayer in a glib way. So why will, why would that happen? Or we turn to another scenario, um, where you went to your bed and we last for about 15 seconds. And then out of nowhere, the day's to-do list pops up and our minds are off on a tangent, uh, ten tangent. We catch ourselves and uh, by sheer force of the will and go back to praying. And before we know, before we know it, it, ha- it has happened again. And instead of praying, we are going to go, we are, we are doing a confused mix of wondering and worrying. And that guilt, the guilt sets in. And we said to ourselves, sometimes some, some, something must be wrong with me. 
And other Christians don't seem to have this trouble praying. And, and then after five minutes, we gave up and saying, I'm not good at this. I might as well get some work done. We, we all have those kind of like bad experience in prayer if we are honest to ourselves. Then what would, would you do when you have those kind of bad experience in prayer? Today we are going to talk about prayer. What is prayer and how can we pray? How can we pray properly? And is our prayer still powerful? And if yes, how would that be the case? I guess in the past several months, we have reading through the book of James. What if we found that, what if we found that we are not hearing God's word? What if we found that we have the sin of pastorality? What if we found that we are not taming our tongue? And what if we found that we, we cannot be patient in suffering? What if we found that we have already found the meaningless of this life, but we still don't know what is God's will in my life? What if all those things are kind of reality in your life? What if even today I'm going to preach prayer, but I found that my praying life is very broken? What should I do? And what should we do? So James, as Pastor Stephen just said, we, we are heading the end of the, the book of James. And actually, the book of James, or James gave us a very easy, very simple answer. That is through prayer. Through prayer. A prayer that's starting with a real-life situation. A prayer among a covenant community. So we, we all know like prayer is a kind of the nature of our Christian life. But if we find all that kind of stuff is kind of reality in our lives, what should we do? So this passage, I just want to share two topics. And the, top, the first topic is the command of prayer. The command of prayer. And the, the second is the power of prayer or the comfort of prayer. So the, the command of prayer, I just want to encourage everyone, including me, even though we have a bad experience in prayer, but we continue to pray not because we have a good experience, just because this is a command of God. And we will also, I, I will also encourage everyone here, we will not try to, you know, pretend I'm a, like faithful, you know, good at prayer or those kind of stuff. We will just pray starting from our real life situation. And another thing I would like to share is the power of prayer. As we see, as we found the James show us the power of prayer is real in every Christian life. We will begin to see, okay, I would try if prayer is, 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 is really powerful. So let's jump into the first part, the command of prayer. The command of prayer. We will hear the divine, divine call for personal prayer, not just more quantity of good or, or good method of prayer, but a real praying life. So structurally, this passage is categorized by six imperatives, like six verbs that is imperative. The first two appeal to personal prayer. As James, James says, says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. So this is command one. Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. It's the second command. So indeed, James, de- James described two opposite situations of life, right? Suffering and cheerfulness, which is a biblical pattern to describe all life situations. And we, we tend to, you know, describe praise 
as another form of prayer, right? And the present tense of this verb, prayer and sing praise, is is present tense, which means keep praying, keep singing praise. So definitely we will see this part of this passage. It's true. James is calling for prayer for all seasons of life. This is definitely true. Nevertheless, there is also another point we should notice. That is the relationship between life situation and prayer. Prayer is not meant to be a production, not a prescription for suffering. Prayer is meant to be the conversation where your life and your God meet. Again, prayer is meant to be the conversation where your life, your suffering, your cheerfulness, and your God meet. So therefore, with a general introduction, James is calling for a real praying life, a personal prayer, a prayer that responds in and through the suffering, a priest that responds to the happy and cheerful moment in your life. So at the end of the book, James, we will not see a, a, a method about prayer. James do not, does not show us a method like Acts, right? Does anyone know Acts? A as like adoration, right? We will start our prayer with adoration. God is, God is gracious. It's all powerful, all loving, all creator, the Alpha, Omega, the beginning and the end, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and He's our healer, redeemer, judge, defender, and much more. Adoration. And then see as confession, right? We will also try to commit, to admit our wrongdoings, our sinfulness. And then T as thanksgiving. Thank God for specific things He did for, for us. And also supplication. Ask God to meet our needs, our family's needs, our friends, our neighbors' desires. But James, this didn't offer those kind of method. He didn't offer seven steps to prayer that brings results. He didn't offer how to pray, a beginner guide. He also didn't offer like the, or, or exhort like the, the quantity of prayer. So he commands us like keep on praying, keep singing praise. But he's not going to guilt us into praying more and more and more. And as we found, actually, we don't pray more and more and more. We pray less and less and less. So, and he also doesn't offer like that. Like, prayer is a means to a very selfish end. But he said, prayer is a divine calling to turn our face to God in every life situation. So whenever you are in suffering, sometimes you are anxious, you are bitter, you are discouraged. You complain, grumble, become negative, would like to give up. You would like to seek temporary solutions and ongoing problems. Even at that time, James called us, keep on praying. Praying is the best response to it even though that's your true life situation. Whenever you are in cheerful, happy, happy moment, it's the same. Sing, keep singing praise to God is the most natural way to respond it. So this is very important in our lives. Prayer is meant to be the conversation where your life and your God meet. David Paulison once honestly pointed out the challenge we have in terms of prayer. And he said, it's hard to pray. It's very hard to pray. It's hard, it's enough for many of us to make an honest request to a friend we, we trust for something we truly need. But when the request gets labeled praying and the friends it termed God, things often go get very tangled up. You have heard the comforted syntax, formulaic phrases, meaningless repetition, weak non-requests, pious tones of voice, and air of confusion. And if you talk to your friends and family that way, you will think you have lost your mind. 
but you probably talk that way to God. You have known people who treat prayer like a rabbit's foot for wandering off bad luck and bringing good goodies. You have known people who feel guilty because of their quantity of prayer fails to meet some presumed standard. Maybe you and I, we are one of those people. Our prayer tends to become a production, a problem. Our life always is always a production, a problem, because our cycle through our to-do list, our anxieties, our distractions, pressures, pleasures, and irritants. And we feel like God's, God is there somewhere and sometimes. So somehow those two problematic productions, prayer and life, and the God of heaven and earth don't all get on the same page very often. But prayer isn't meant to be a production and problem. And God is here now. God is here now in your life. God is doing his work in your life. Because when we read James chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, and we shall be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. God is doing his work. His providential work in our lives. And he's also doing his redemptive work in our lives. Even though we didn't realize that. We didn't find that. But God is here now. He's always doing his providential and redemptive work in our lives. So therefore, the Bible's prayer traffic in both daily life and the real God. The Bible's prayer traffic traffic in both daily life and the real God. They bring real troubles and need to a God who really listens. They never seem like a production. They sound and feel real because they are real. When I read a book, A Prayer in Life, it's written by um, Paul Miller, and he gave us a, a very strong warning. It's like he said, culture. American culture is the hardest, or American is the hardest place in the world to pray. What do you think? American culture is probably the hardest place in the world to learn to pray. Because we are too busy that when we slow down to pray, we find it uncomfortable. We prize, prize accomplishments, productions, but our prayer is nothing but talking to God. It feels useless as if we are wasting time. Every bone in our bones screams, get to work. When we are not working, we're used to be entertained. Television, internet, video games, cell phones, make free times as busy as work. So when we do slow down, we slip into a a stopper, exhausted by the pace of life. We wedge out in front of screen and with earplugs. And if we try to be quiet, we are assaulted by what C.S. Lewis called the kingdom of noises. Everywhere we go, we hear background noise. If the noise isn't provided for us, we can bring our own iPad, iPod, whatever it is. Even our church services can have that same restless energy. There's little space space to be still before God. And we want our money's worth. So something should always be happening. And we are uncomfortable with silence, with rest. One of the subtlest hindrances to prayer is probably the most pervasive in the broader culture, in our churches, or in, in, in uh, either Chinese immigrant church or Korean immigrant church. We, we, we prize intellect, competency, and wealth because we can do life without God. Praying seems nice but unnecessary. Money can do what prayer does, and it is quicker and less time-consuming. 
Our trust in ourselves and in our talents make us structurally independent of God. And as a result, exhaustion to pray don't stick. So this is a quotation from Paul Miller, A Praying Life. But this is very true. Even though I just came to America like four years ago, I found, I found myself, as I started at Westminster, a lot of academic works is there. I found prayer is useless. It's time-consuming. If I pray three hours, I'm going to fail for all my Greek or Hebrew exam. So that's kind of tragedy in all of our lives. So what if that is the case, what should we do? If we have those kind of bad experience, James' exhaustion is very easy and simple. Keep praying. Keep praying. Starting from your real life situation, whether it's among suffering or it's in your cheerful moment, happy moment in your life. And the second command is a divine call to a praying community, to your interpersonal and intercessory prayer. Because in verse 14, James says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for. So command three, call for. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Command four, pray over him. Anointing with oil and in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sin, sins, he will be forgiven. So the third appeal encouraged any who are sick to sermon the elders of the church, whom James in turn exalts in the fourth appeal to pray. As a result of the elders' prayer, the person will be healed. And if the illness was the result of personal sins, he will be forgiven. So there, is a, there are much confusions and controversies surrounding verses 14 to 15. That's why Pastor Stephen doesn't, will, will not like to share this passage. I, I have to share this passage because Pastor Stephen command me, give me this command. So even I had bad experience, I didn't sleep well last night, I have to preach. Prayer among covenant community. The first question this verse raises is whether the sickness is physical or spiritual. You know, while Paul used to, to be sick spiritually, Paul often used to be sick spiritually. But always in the gospel, we found that this verb refers, refers to physical illness. And given an early date for James, his dependence on Jesus' teaching, you know, James, you know, every teaching in James, we will, you know, chase back to Jesus' teaching in the Gospels. So given the early date for James, his dependence on Jesus' teaching, and the fact that the other suffering mentioned in his letter has referred to concrete physical problems. The, so the passage implies that the sick person is, is bedridden, a potentially helpless, even to pray for himself. So the elders are called. So he summoned the elder to come to the sick person and do all the praying. So we will not to, you know, uh, talk too more about this, but we will just literally take it as a physical. Also, physical sometimes is regarded with emotional, spiritual, and economical. But the point is, James asked us to summon the elders to pray among covenant community. You know, elders, I don't know, uh, our elders are not here today. So when, every time we, find, we, we see that during the presiding here, right? Every time we, we found that they have a kind of title, elders, but in the scripture, it's very clear. Elders are spiritual leaders, but they have the responsibility to walk among God's people and pray for the sick. The one who is sick and helpless also have the duty. So you have the duty to sermon the elder 
Please come. Come to my place. Pray for the sick. This is your responsibility. So every time I read different commentaries, they will always emphasize, okay, this passage is about a prayer for the sick. But actually, the initial start is your responsibility. Every Christian in this church, in the covenant community, we take initial to sermon the elders, please come. I'm in need. Please come to my place and pray for me. The elder pray over him. You know, the act of praying over someone refers to the common Jewish practice of laying hands upon a person in prayer. But in the New Testament, we found that Jesus healing through the laying on the hands. But what's new in Acts, we found that Acts is the giving and re- uh, what's new in Acts is the giving and receiving of the Holy Spirit through the laying on hands. So as the gospel makes progress from Jerusalem and Judea to Samaria and then beyond and the ends of the earth, God is pleased to use apostles laying on of his, their hands as a visible marker and means of the coming of the Spirit among new people and new places, first in Samaria and then beyond. So laying on of hands is not a magic magic power or does not ultimately confirm grace, but it is a sign. It is a sign to signify the reality. And the reality is that this Holy Spirit has come and He is, and He has been living among us, among every Christian's life, family, and church after Jesus' death and resurrection. So pray over Him signifies the Holy Spirit, which is a life giver. And also we will also see the elders come and, and, and he is praying with anointing the oil, right? So a lot of, you know, different uh, traditions will have different take about the use of the oil. Though the oil were used for medical purpose in ancient world, but the use here is not medicinal, neither is it sacramental. It is not a vehicle of divine power that by application promotes healing in the ill. And this verse provides no basis for the Roman Catholic Church's sacrament of extreme unction, extreme unction, wherein the dying is anointed with oil with the purpose of removing any remnant of sin and strengthening the soul for dying. A simple reading of the text makes it clear that the anointing with oil is to promote healing, not to ease dying. Promote healing, not to ease dying. So rather than being medical, medicinal, or sacramental, the anointing is also symbolical. It's also a sign to signify a reality. Anointing in the scripture is usually associated with consecrating or setting apart someone for special service. Or attention, like in the Old Testament, we will see the kings, priests, prophets, they are anointed, right? They are anointed for special service or attention. So in this respect, oil is also a symbol of the Holy Spirit, who dwells, who indwells, and watch over each believers. So the applying of oil to the sick is a rich symbolic act, setting the sick apart to be ministered to in a special way by the Holy Holy Spirit. So when applied by the loving hands of the elders, it is a profound vehicle for comfort and encouragement. Where there is the Holy Spirit, there is God's presence and His blessing. That's why James commands those elders praying with anointing the oil. Because it's not because the elder has a magic power. It's because the Holy Spirit is a life giver. Where there is the Holy Spirit, there is God's presence and blessing. But the, the, third, the third point in, in this passage is, you know, James also commands those elders pray in the name of the Lord. 
And that's the most important thing. I quote from Pat Stevens' paper when he was in seminary. He wrote a paper, but he led me to preach this 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 sermon. And he uh, he said, "Prayer and the act of anointing with oil are of no avail without divine intervention. They only point to the healing power of the Lord Jesus Christ." Because James command all the elders to pray in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord. So on many occasions, the miraculous act of healing was performed without the anointing of oil and even at times without prayer. But it was always performed through a declarative statement invoking the name of Jesus. Likewise, Jesus, uh, James understands this to be the case despite his instruction to pray and anoint. For, G- for James, the Lord is the final cause of healing. Prayers are offered in the name of the Lord. And it is the Lord who will raise up the sick. And prayer is, is but the instrumental cause. This is also quoted by Pat Stevens' paper. But that's very important for all of us. Why we summon the elders to come? Not because he is entitled as elder. But when, you know, elder is kind of representative of all the congregation. Because, you know, as a Reformed Christian, we all know that every Christian is a priest, a prophet, and a king, right? We have that kind of um, duty and privilege. But as we give hand, we place our hand to our elders, and then he is a representative of all our brothers and sisters. So when he went to a brother and sister's house. He is a representative of the whole church as a covenant community. So that's why this is very important because the second command, when we found we are in brokenness, we are kind of, you know, bad Christian. James called us that the first is praying starting from your real life and the second is to keep praying among the community, to keep to show that you are in need to your elders, to keep asking the elders to come to your place, to keep to ask the elders as, as a representative of the whole covenant community to confirm that the life giver, the Holy Spirit, is with us, even though we are in bad situation, in uh, in the in, in sickness, and even we cannot pray. But this is another way. We follow James' command: keep praying. As the elders come, place his hand with anointing the oil in the name of Jesus Christ. So this is the first part, and the second part is the power of prayer. The power of prayer. In Verse 16, the, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years or six months, it did not rain on, on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. I guess everyone, we are familiar with Elijah. Because in this passage, James used Elijah as a, to illustrate the power of prayer. So this is the false Old Testament personality of in James. You know, James mentioned in this letter, he mentioned the, the faith work of Abraham, the saving faith of Rahab, the steadfast endurance of Job, and now the, the, the prayer of Elijah. So many feel like Elijah was the greatest, the, the most romantic character that Israel ever produced. Cause the mention of Elijah especially caught the ear of James' Hebrew audi- audience, who remember him as fighting a life and death battle with idolatries, Ahab and Ezebel, slaying the prophets of Baal, 
fleeting for his life, exercising more than human power, seeing sights beyond the experience of other men, raising the dead, multiplying the widow's meal and oil, eating from the bricks of ravens, feasting in the wilderness at the hands of angels, foretelling for, for both famine and the coming of the rain, outturning, out, uh, sorry, outrunning a house carriage of Jezreel, learning the secret of God's presence in the caves of Horeb, and finally vanishing from the earth in a chariot of fire. So it's kind of very magic life, right? It's very... Uh, when the audience hear the name Elijah, they will realize this is a great prophet prophet they have. So Elijah's name was even connected with paving the way for the coming Messiah. Elijah was so highly regarded that some were tempted to think he was superhuman, and some therefore could conceivably wonder how his example power of prayer could apply to them. But thus James says, James introduced him by saying, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He had the same human nature, the same fallible passions as us. He ran away. He didn't, he will not like to follow God, to fight for God. He also asked for death. He will like us. What if I didn't Tame the tongue. What if I didn't be patient in suffering? What if I found the meaningless of life, but I didn't follow God's will? Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Therefore, Elijah's experience has lessons for all of us. That is the power of prayer, which is available for every Christian. So I don't know if you have an unmet need in your life. If you feel like the brokenness, the unworthiness, as a bad Christian, prayer can open heaven, send rain, and bear fruit. But sometimes we all have that kind of experience. I feel like I have faith, right? Because I can pray very fluently. I can pray the scripture. I can pray with our brother and sister with no hesitation. I feel like I have faith. But the problem is, it's not I feel like I have faith. The point is, what is the prayer of faith and the prayer of a righteous person? What does James mean when he, he mentioned the prayer of faith and prayer of righteous person? Because verse 15, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Sometimes we feel like we have faith. We pray for the sick, but it turned out that nothing happened. I remember when I was in China, my brother is a mentally disabled person. And when he was in his middle school, and my mom was very worried, and one day he heard that there's a prophet from a very, very far place in, in the Mongolia. I live in the very southern part. And the prophet came and my mom told him, Hey, could you pray for my son? Cause I found that you are the person, you know, of a, a, a righteous person, a faithful person. And, and then he, my whole family gathered together and the prophet tried to pray for my, for my brother. And we pray a long, long time with fluent, very fluent prayer. And, 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 and it turned out, turned out that my brother is still there and, and smiling at me and, you know, and do whatever he wants, you know. So what if you feel like that is the first time be, before I became a Christian, I feel like, I feel like I have faith at that time. I, I, I really sincerely pray that, God, if you are God, please heal my brother. But it turned out nothing happened. So if that happened in your life, what would you respond? So James 
didn't say that the prayer of spiritual Eli, right? But rather mention a righteous Christian who has the imputed righteousness of Christ and lives an ethical, ethically righteous life. The prayer of a godly Christian is very powerful in the way it works. It's not because he's kind of spiritual elite or, you know, kind of prophet or that kind of stuff. As I mentioned, all of us, we are prophets, we are priests, we are king. that God has given us those privileges. But in the context of James, what is a prayer of faith? What is a prayer of a righteous person? So beginning the, 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 at the end of the James, we, we will, last week we, we have discussed patience, right? And, and this, week, uh, this passage we also found faith. But if you turn back at the beginning of the book of James, James also discussed faith, discussed steadfast, discussed patience. If you read James chapter 1, verse 3, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its fruit effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And continue verse 6, chapter 1. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So in chapter 1, we will see we will see that a prayer of faith is kind of a prayer of steadfastness. A faith will, will, will uh, produce steadfastness. And the, 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 the strange thing is that in chapter, uh, verse, sorry, chapter 1, verse 9, and James said, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. And in verse 10, he said the same, the rich in his humiliation. With no doubting, both in exaltation and humiliation. So it's not because I feel good, I feel I have faith. James is saying a true faith produces steadfast, steadfastness. A true faith is obedience to God's will. The prayer of faith comes from a faith in Almighty God, who sovereignly carries out His will. Nothing is beyond Him. He can heal anyone, anytime. Humiliation, exhaustion, anytime He wills. And He does heal today. He does as He wills in every circumstances, working all things to His glory. We will, we'll, we'll, it seems very familiar to us. Because when we turn back to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verse 41, as Christ withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove the cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Does Jesus have faith? I guess everyone he, sitting here you will not be such brave to say that Jesus doesn't have faith, right? Jesus has faith. But his prayer, did God answer his prayer? As he prayed, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Hey, God didn't answer his prayer. God didn't answer his prayer. Jesus Christ, whose prayer was not heard by God, Father, if you will take this cup away. However, the father didn't answer his prayer, threw him on the cross and cried out, My God, my God, why did you depart from me? Why didn't God listen to Jesus' prayers? Is it because he doesn't have enough faith to shake God's hand? No. Because this is God's will. It is the will of Jesus to bear our sins on the cross, to cut off the, our transgressions from the land of the living as a sacrifice. When we forget the goodness of God, Jesus shows us His love. It was because of Jesus' prayer that the prayer of the only righteous man, who was absolutely holy, righteous, and good, but was rejected by God, so that the prayer of those of us who
who are unrighteous, sinful, unworthy, so that we can be heard by the Holy God. So not because we deserve it, not because we deserve it, but because of the sacrifice our great Savior has made for us. Our Savior, according to the prophets of the Bible, died on the cross, buried in the grave, according to the Bible. So in, the, in Acts chapter 2, it says, This Jesus deliver us up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge, foreknowledge of God. And you crucified and killed by the hands, by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, losing the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by aid. And because of that, when we read Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us then with confidence, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help the time of need. To help in time of need. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So friends, brothers and sisters, does prayer for, is, prayer, is prayer powerful? We'll definitely say yes because this is what James showed us. And this is how Jesus Christ showed us. But this is not according of our faith, our will, but it's according to the will of God. So I just I would like to end this preaching with a quote from Christ 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 sorry Christ Christon. Is that right? Um Sorry, it, it's uh, it's just uh, uh, the anterior, uh, the, the 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 bishop uh, in the fourth century, Chrysostom, Chrysostom, yeah, golden mouth. This application was well, uh, and he said, he said the 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 potency of prayer has subdued the strength of fire, it has bridled the rage of lions, hushed anarchy to rest, is extinguished wars, appeased the elements, expelled demons, burst the chains of death, expanded the fates of heaven, assaulted diseases, dispelled frauds, rescued cities from destruction, stayed the sun in its course, and arrested the progress, the thunderbolt, and there is an all-sufficient panoply a treasure undiminished, a, a mind which is never exhausted, a sky unobscured by clouds, a heaven unruffled by the stone. It is the root, the fountain, the mother of a thousand blessings. This is the power of prayer. This is the power of prayer. So, just a few things for application. First, unceasing prayer. Keep on prayer, regardless of circumstance or outcomes, regardless what kind of life, life situation you have. Just starting from there, starting from there, remember that God is God, and He is Lord, and He decides everything, and He commands us to keep on prayer. So even though we have bad experience, we feel like we are a bad Christian. Keep on prayer, not because we are a good, Christ, good Christian, but because God commands everyone here among us. We cannot shake His hand with prayer, but His hand, His Holy Spirit comes to lead us in prayer Himself. In times of suffering, pour out to Him all our anxieties and sorrows. In times of joy, give, me, give him all, the, all your praises. Let his name be sanctified in your prayers. Let his kingship be glorified in your prayers. And let his will be honored in your prayer. And second, please, please pray with your church. Pray with this covenant community. 
Your spiritual life is not private or just personal. You need to be a member of a visible church. You need to be under the care of the elders of the church. If you haven't joined this church, become a member. This church is a good choice because we have biblical church governance. We have elders who will go to your place, pray for you. They are shepherds set up by Christ to fulfill biblical commands, to take care of the spiritual life of all the flocks here, to intercede for them. And precisely because we are all sinners, we must have we must have our brothers and sisters in this church that we need to intercede with each other, confess our sins to each other, and repent of each other, forgive each other. And the third, in our prayers, we are to acknowledge the merits of Christ. Every time we say, pray in the name of Jesus, we are acknowledging that we are able to pray to God because of the merits of Christ. Because of redemptive, of redemptive work of Christ. Because of the salvation He accomplished on the cross. And we can accept it by God. So when you are wondering, anxious, unsure whether God is accepting you, look to Christ. To the Christ who is interceding at the right hand of the Father. Fix your eyes on the Christ who is living in you and among you. And you can find assurance in Him. And finally, do not forget the one day all prayers of repentance, all intercessions for forgiveness, all cries for pain, anxiety will cease. For one day, there will be no more death, no more sin, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. And our God will personally wipe away all our tears. And on that day, our only prayer will be praise and praise, singing with thousands of angels the glory of God, whose name will be sanctified forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray.